don't know how to start this podcast. I've been planning on doing this for a while now, but wondered how to actually start doing it. Over the last 12 months, I've read probably half a dozen books on finance and on money. But it's a really awkward topic to discuss. Like it's something a little bit taboo, isn't it? That talking about money and finance. But I've read half a dozen books. Rob Moore, Money. Naval Ravikant, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money. And Just Keep Buying by Nick Magayula. I hope I'm saying that right. These six books really helped me question my mindset around money, helped me get a handle on my personal finances. And also give me some applicable applicable advice around saving and trying to create more money. Now before I start, I just want to caveat this podcast. I am exactly the same as you watching or listening to me now. I'm not fucking rich. I come from a working class background in St. Helens. Um, probably inherited the same mindset around money as my parents had. I work a normal job. I have a little bit of savings. I'm just the same as you. I'm not doing this podcast as look at me. I'm advising you to do X, Y, and Z. That's not what this is about. And I'm going to frame it, coming at it from an angle of, I wish I'd have been told so much more about finances and how to manage money when I was at school growing up. I think things would have been a lot different if I'd have been taught in school, fuck your Ari off, fuck your fucking, I don't even know what it's called, religious studies class off and teach me how to handle money and manage money and teach me about the mindset about money. I would have been a lot better off if we'd have been taught that in school. So that's the angle I'm coming at this at. I'm trying to educate young people or in future years, hopefully my kids may watch this. And this is what I would tell myself or what I'm telling my kids around the mind mindset and what I've learned from reading these books. So that is the angle I'm coming from it at. I'm not trying to advise you to do anything because I am I'm nobody. I'm the same as you. And I just want to be better with my money than I am now. And reading these six books really helped. So everything I'm going to talk about today really is a combination of what I learned and what I got from these books. Some things I've started to put into place. Some things I haven't. Some things I'm working towards. Um, and I'll, I'll, 
I'll elaborate on that in a bit. So I think the first thing you've got to kind of start to question before you even go down the route of what to do with your finances or how to handle finances. And this was what I got from Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money and Rob Moore's Money. What is your mindset? So this is a question that I'm asking you. What is your mindset? What is your mindset around money? If you're like me, you probably inherited it. You probably inherited your mindset from your parents. And a lot of the times the sayings that I grew up with was money doesn't go on trees. The poor keep getting poorer, the richer keep getting richer. Money can't buy you happiness. All kinds of sayings like that. It's such a taboo subject to talk about money and it's even like a lot of people would even consider it like in poor taste but I think we need to talk about it and it, it's about education in it. And I think something I've tried to work on is come at it from an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset, what I mean is there's there's money out there. One thing I learned from Paul Maltz was that money flows to those who offer the most value and away from those who don't offer value. So an abundance mindset, there's money out there to get. If you look at a scarcity mindset, then a scarcity mindset would be um, you want to keep the money that you've got because there's no more ways of trying to earn or get or gain more money. Um, and you'll hear things around the mindset of money can't buy you happiness. And that is true to a degree that I believe that money can't buy happiness if you're generally an unhappy person anyway. But if you live below the poverty line, then money can certainly make you happy. Having no money will make you miserable. If you live below that poverty line and you're struggling to pay your rent, you're struggling to put food on the table, that will make you miserable. So having enough money to address your needs will make life easier and therefore will make you happier. And another, another question that got proposed to me when reading Rob Moore's book, Money, was that if you can't handle the money that you've got already, what makes you think you should be worthy of getting more money? So if you say you, you win a hundred quid on a scratch card, for example, will that hundred quid burn a hole in your pocket? Or can you keep hold of that money? Would you be able to, if you got given a grand, would you be able to keep hold of that grand and put it in the bank as savings or would it burn a hole in your pocket? I want you to ask that question, honestly. Because um, if you don't value money, then really I think that that money will start to burn a hole in your pocket and you'll just spend it. 
you'll start to spend it and it'll be gone. Whereas if you actually value the money, value money and you can handle having money, having that thousand pound in your bank or in your pockets in cash or whatever, you value that you value what it is. You're not just trying to get rid of it. So one of the big things that I got from um, just keep buying and the psychology of money was the idea of living within your means. There's a few kind of philosophical questions that come from this. Living within your means is obviously lowering your burn rate. So whatever money comes in, you live within your means. Um, you're not buying fancy cars. You don't live in flash houses. So the money that you earn, you live within your means. You buy what you need to buy to, to get by, basically. Yeah, You're not... So what I say about living in your means, say you earn 20 grand a year, you're not going around buying Mercedes-Benz cars, you're not going around wearing, wearing Rolex watches, spending all your money in the first week, living within your means. Um, and again, it, it begs that wider question. When you look at buying material possessions, and I'm guilty of this, especially growing up, buying a brand new outfit to go out in, the, the best shoes, the named tops, all top brand gear. And maybe that's just a rite of passage of growing up, I don't know. But like I said, this I'm doing this episode really to talk to either the younger self, the younger me. Maybe you're watching in a different multiverse or something and you, you get a chance to watch this video. This is what I would tell myself growing up. Um, I wasn't bad with money growing up, but again, like everybody else, I got a credit card when I went to uni, maxed it out, bit by bit. My student loan, it didn't obviously get spent on what it should have been spent on. It got spent on nights out, clothes. So it's just trying to manage your money better. And maybe if I have a different mindset around it and I'd learnt stuff about it, about it, then maybe... Maybe then I would have done something different and invested it maybe or done better with it. So when you look at material possession, you've got what's called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation is basically, you buy something new, after a few months, the novelty wears off basically, and it becomes quite um, quite old. So you're looking at cars maybe, uh, the latest technology, iPads, MacBooks, any kind of technology, anything that you buy, the novelty will soon wear off. And it's because of this social comparison, keeping up with the Joneses, that we, we, we start to invest in a lot of material positions. So I want you to ask the question now, how much is enough? I recently convinced myself, and I'm quite proud of myself for doing this, to not buy a Garmin watch. I've been toying with the idea of buying a Garmin for ages. The f latest Phoenix... Um, spec watch and I taught myself out of it for the reason that for one I don't need one for two I can't actually track 
my jiu-jitsu classes because I can't wear the watch when I'm doing jiu-jitsu. So that would be one of the things that I would want to track. My heart rate variability, um, breaths per minute, all that kind of thing. I wouldn't be able to track it because I'd have to take it off. So I'd, all I'd use it for really is heart rate, steps, and it to be an actual fucking watch. And I didn't need to buy, buy one. And a few years gone by, I would have just bought one and then wore it for a few months and it had been just put in the, the top drawer, the man drawer, as Michael McIntyre would call it. So ask you a question, how much is enough? Do I need another pair of jeans? No, I don't, so I've got three pairs of jeans as it is. Do I need another pair of trainers? Maybe I do, as my missus keeps telling me, my vans are pretty worn and and um, coming apart at the seams. So maybe I do need some new vans. But do you need it? I want you now to ask yourself the question, what is your definition of wealth? Now I am not rich. I don't class myself as rich. But I do define myself as welfare. And what I mean by that is wealth for me, and again it's something that was inspired by reading these books. My definition of wealth is having freedom and having the time to a certain degree to do what I want, when I want, and with who I want. Um, so I currently work two days a week and the rest of the time I am self-employed. I've got a jiu-jitsu club and I've got um, a community interest company, Incremental Gains. And the money that I have allows me the freedom and at the time I teach jiu-jitsu for a living. That's my passion, that's my hobby. So I get to do that and I'm fortunate enough that fortunate enough that people pay me to do that. I enjoy making these videos. I get funding funding to run community projects from incremental gains. So I am welfare in terms I have the freedom and the time to do what I love doing. And I can spend time with my family and it gives me the freedom to go on holiday and the freedom to kind of do stuff to the house, spend money on the house without going into massive debt to do it. So I want you to ask yourself what does wealth mean to you? Wealth might mean having shitloads of money in the bank. Wealth might mean owning loads of nice cars. It's going to be different to everyone. One of the things that struck me from the Morgan Household book, The Psychology of Money, was less than 90% of people have enough savings for one month's worth of wages. So people don't, 90% of people don't have one month's salary saved up in the bank. Which when you think about it, one month's salary could be a boiler, could be... Um, a big job on the car when the car breaks down, a refrigerator. So a lot of these, what that said to me was a lot of people are just a disaster away from being under the poverty line and not being able to afford to pay the rent, to buy food. And that is quite a scary thought. 
that is quite a scary thought that you are just one month away to away from serious stress. The biggest takeaway for me around the mindset of money. And again, I just want to reiterate that I'm not coming at this like I'm telling you what to do. This isn't about me giving you advice. It's me trying to pass on knowledge to maybe the younger self or young kids growing up now. About questioning your mindset around money and finances. Um, why do you want the material possessions? This is my biggest takeaway. What are you trying to do? Keep up with the Joneses? Are you trying to buy happiness by thinking that that watch will buy you happiness? You need to. I think you need to be okay with just what you've got. Being okay with what you already have. So then questioning when you start getting that hedonic adaptation and social comparisons with other people. They've got this. Why can't I have that? I feel entitled that I should have that as well. Do you need it? What is it going to get you? Maybe it's status. Status amongst your peer group. And that is a big pressure for young people. I get that. And I've been guilty of that as well in the past. But that status isn't real. And the very nature of hedonic adaptation, there'll be something else the week after. Something to think about. But that was definitely the biggest takeaway for me around the mindset of money. So what about practical advice? Now, Ravel Navakant, or even Naval Ravakant, it's a brilliant book. I highly recommend that everyone read all of these books, but in particular, Naval Ravakant, The Almanac of Naval. Naval talks a lot about leverage. Now, it took me ages to figure out what leverage means, but basically leverage, the saying goes that with enough leverage, with a long enough stick, I can move the world. So what do we mean by leverage? So you, by leverage, one aspect of leverage is um, specific knowledge. So from my perspective, specific knowledge, I'm a, currently a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I have, I have the knowledge of the techniques, whatever, however long I've been doing it, nearly nine years, just under nine years. I've built up this knowledge that people could potentially pay or do pay, do pay for me to give them the knowledge for me to pass on that knowledge and that is specific knowledge for me not not everyone has got that knowledge you might be able to and this is something that Naval talks about in the book you might be able to write code that is specific knowledge you might be able to write computer code you can leverage that ability so I can leverage teaching people jujitsu to make money maybe you're good at coaching people. Maybe you've got a specific skill that you could leverage. What could you leverage to make money? What specific skills do you have to you 
that you could use to leverage to make money. Now the practical advice right down at the bottom rung of the ladder is to get out of debt. Now in the book they talk about that having a mortgage is not classed as bad debt. So don't worry about the mortgage, we're not talking about the mortgage. But it means get out of debt, getting rid of credit cards, getting rid of payday loans, simply getting out of debt is the first rung on the ladder. Then once you've got out of debt, you can look at saving. Now again, how do you get out of debt? So rather than looking at saving any money to get out of debt, you've got to lower your burn rate. So whatever comes in, you've got to spend less than what comes in. So getting rid of all the old direct debits, getting rid of the subscriptions that you don't use anymore. Um, sacrificing a few takeaways. Practical, simple shit like that. The money what's left over, you get yourself out of debt. And then the next rung on the ladder is being able to save. Um, what was interesting in um, Just Keep Buying by Nick Magiula. Sorry, I butcher that name every time. Um, I read that book recently in Dubai, I smashed it in like two days. Really practical, really helpful book. Um, through all research and analysing graphs and figures, he talks about if you need to save something that will take less than three years to save for, so maybe a wedding, maybe a deposit for a house, maybe a new car, if you're gonna save something that will take less than three years for you to save up for, then his recommendation is that you use cash. So savings in a bank. Cash in a bank, saving. If you're saving up for something that lasts over three years, he goes talking about investing. So it takes us on to the next aspect. So you get out of debt, you can start to save, saving for something that's going to take less than three years is cash in the bank, saving for something that is longer than three years, investing in stocks and shares. Now, I'm not even going to start to approach investing in stocks and shares because who the fuck am I to talk about investing in stocks and shares? Take some financial advice. Read a few more books. There you go. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because one of the contradictions to that was with Rob Moore when Rob Moore was talking about cash in the bank you're never going to outsave inflation there's always going to be inflation so for example if you've got 10 grand in the bank in 10 years time that 10 grand is not going to be worth 10 grand because of inflation so it's going to be worse it's going to be worth less than that and it took me a long while to get my head around that aspect so goes the logic that you need to invest so the percentage points that you get on your investment per year should account for the amount of inflation that you'd be losing. So you either money remains the same value or obviously the perfect scenario is that you will earn money on top of your money. And the next level, what Rob Moore prescribes was once you've invested, you use the money that you've made on top of your money to either reinvest or that's the money that you use to buy stuff with. Don't use your own money, use the money that your money's made to buy stuff. So like I said at the beginning, some of them aspects I've started to put into practice, some I'm starting to work towards. But I think that is a really good comprehensive kind of map on what to start to look to do.
and it's something I'm starting to work towards now. And it's shit like that though that no one ever fucking taught you that in school. No one ever told me about that in school, like, explained about being in debt. No one explained how debt works, why being in debt is bad, steps to save money, and then how to actually increase finances by like investing and creating products, which is what we're going to talk about now. Um, so you kind of, this Naval Ravikant, his whole theory is around making something that makes money. So again, using this leverage. Create something that makes you money when you're not working. So for example, an online product that sells once it's made, it's done and it sells while you're asleep. So all the work's done initially and then it's sold on. During um, lockdown, me and um, a long-time friend, we created a product around helping people manage change. We built it once. During lockdown, we recorded all the videos, we did all the PDFs, and that has, that has been sold numerous amounts of times to different people and different organisations to where the money's been done. So we're making money on something that has already been done. So anything online that you can create will create residual income while you sleep because it's already been done. So something like that, do you know what I mean? Like an ebook, creating a, a course or something online. That is what Naval Ravikant recommends is the best way to create wealth. And again, the definition of wealth is personal to you. Um, so creating online products, also creating online platforms, so YouTube videos, again, online coursing, e-learning. The beauty with YouTube videos, and I'm just finding this out now, um, YouTube videos, once they're up there, obviously they're there forever. So even like videos that I posted three years ago are still getting a certain amount of views every month. Don't get me wrong, I'm not earning any money on YouTube or anything like that, and it's not something I aspire to do, but I'm enjoying the process of making videos, um, and you can monetize your YouTube channel. It is possible to do that once you reach a certain amount of viewership and a certain amount of subscribers. And I'm a long way there, don't get me wrong, but I'm inspired massively by the likes of James Smith. And he regularly says at one point he had zero fucking followers, no one subscribing, and now he's got like millions and millions of followers, million subscribers on YouTube, million of followers on Instagram. So massively inspired by James Smith, who quite regularly talks about how he just started from zero. And the good thing is, is the videos that I did first are the shit videos. So hopefully now when people are watching current videos, I'm a little bit better than me shit videos, if you know what I mean. Anyway, so creating online products that are going to sell while you're asleep. That's something I'm really considering, like how to create that platform. Um... One thing that Naval Ravikant does talk about as not the correct way or not a good way of creating wealth is selling your time on a one-to-one -one basis. So an interesting theory that he uses is he gives himself an extortionate hourly rate. And the theory goes that if you can do a job, you can get somebody in to do that job for less than your hourly rate then you will go and get them to do that job. If to do that job costs more than your hourly rate, then you will do it, you will do it yourself. 
but prioritise your time. Put such an extortionate fee on your time that time is precious. Like shitty meetings that you go to that nothing is going to come of it. That time could have been spent doing something, creating a product that could make you money when you're sleeping. And one person I've not mentioned yet is a coach and a mentor that I worked with over lockdown and towards the back end of 2021, Paul Mort. One thing that really stuck with me that he talked about and one thing that I try and utilise when deciding on what jobs I should do and what jobs I should either sack off or if, if I've got the choice, getting somebody else to do. If you are a business owner or you want to try and create something of your, your, of your own that you could sell to maybe start running a business or start to earn more money or a side hustle or whatever. And I love this, what Paul talks about is having there's £10 hour jobs, £100 an hour jobs and £1,000 an hour jobs. Um, so, for example, for me, a £10 an hour job might be going dropping some leaflets off for Jiu-Jitsu. A £100 an hour job might be creating a Facebook ad that potentially if it gets me two clients in a month, that is £100 from getting two clients. A £1,000 an hour job might be writing a funding bid that potentially could get me £10,000 to do a community project over the course of a year. And that hour spending writing the funding bid is a £1,000 an hour job. So when you come down to the choice of should I go and deliver leaflets for an hour or should I spend time writing a funding bid, one's a £10 an hour job, one's a, a potential £1,000 per hour job. I could pay someone £10 an hour to go and drop leaflets and then do the £1,000 an hour job myself. Does that make sense? That was a really good way that I learned from Paul Mort on how to kind of delegate your time and to prioritise what jobs you should be doing. But again, I mean, if you're starting off, well, I'll be honest, I've delivered leaflets once and fuck all came of it, so I never did it again. It was It's easier just to do Facebook ads. That's what I've learned, well easier. Um, so create a ridiculous hourly rate for yourself and do not do something for less than what your hourly rate is. If you can pay someone less than your hourly rate to do the job, then do it. Every single one of those books that I read, I wish I'd have been taught them in school. I wish that someone would have summarised those books and taught them to us in school. I would have a better mindset, I would have had a better mindset around money. I would have maybe learned how to create something that is going to make money sooner rather than only just having that realisation now. So this is my video to you, the younger me. Hopefully this gives you some guidance as to how to value money better, how to understand that why should you why should you deserve more money if you can't handle the money that you've got right now, 
if it's burning a hole in your pocket, the minute you get a couple of quid in your pockets, why should you deserve? Why should you be worthy of having more money? I hope it helps you think of different ways in which to start investing um, time and effort into creating products that can sell while you're asleep. Why Why selling your time on a one-to-one -one basis isn't scalable at all? Because there's only so many hours in a day. And if you're selling your, if you're selling your services one-to-one -one on an hourly rate, then there's only so many hours in a day that you can earn money. One-to-many is a different matter whatsoever. That's why I don't really do one-to-one -one privates anymore. It's not worth the time that it takes to do it. But then you put that hourly rate on. If someone's willing to pay that hourly rate, then fair one, so be it. Um, I've learnt a lot of lessons through them books. And they're the lessons that I've passed on to you today. But I highly recommend that you read all the books eventually. Not all at once, obviously, but eventually. And hopefully it'll change something in you. And the way you think about money. Such a taboo subject. And it was hard for me to approach this subject as well. It's not the it's not the most comfortable I've felt doing one of these kind of book reviews, even though I've reviewed like several books in one episode. Um, but I'll leave you with this from Rob Moore. Money moves through those who value it least to those who value it most. something to think about now I hope you've enjoyed me ranting for what is probably one of the longest book reviews that we've done any feedback leave it in the notes please click and subscribe and forward this on to anybody you think might get some value out of it and I'll see you soon take care